My guest today is the Chief Analytics Officer for Looker, the hot analytics company that was recently purchased by Google. Please welcome Colin Zima. Colin, what's going on? How are you doing? All right. Doing okay, man. Long time. It has been a while. Yeah. Well, hey, man. Thanks. Good to hear from you. Good to see you. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. Of course. Love it. Cool. Well, let's jump right into this. What do you do? <laughs> cool. I work at a company called Looker. Well, I guess I work at a company called Google now. And they acquired a company that I've been at for about seven years called Looker. My background is we spent a little bit of time together in finance, but since pivoting out of finance, I've mostly worked at a variety of different tech companies working in sort of data analytics and data science. And I landed at Looker actually as one of the first customers of the product. And Looker is a data analytics company. So what we do is that we connect to databases and people that want to ask questions about their business can ask questions through our product. So I was originally a user of the Looker product. I was a data analyst at a startup. And I eventually joined Looker as sort of a super customer. It was sort of a mix of like a data analytics role and also a little bit of product management. And while I've been at Looker, I've actually had a variety of different jobs. I led customer support and customer success for a while. So helping make sure that people were successful using the product. I led the analytics team for a long time. And then I also led the product team. So I was the leader of the product team. And what the product team does is you can think of that team as sort of the coordinators for how the product is built. So we've got the engineering team developing the product, like actually writing the code that does, they're doing the real work. And then the field team like sales is selling the product. And you can think of product as sort of the glue in between. So talking to customers, interpreting concepts of what people want to do with Looker and working with the engineering team to prioritize and get those things built. Okay. And so, and it seems like you are wearing uh, several hats, but would you call yourself the chief analytics officer or the chief production officer? Or Yeah. So my, my title for the whole time has been chief analytics officer and Part of that was sort of title fluff because executives that are buying software want to talk to executives. And so I needed a trumped up title. <laughs> but effectively, what I am is sort of a figurehead for explaining to people how others are working with analytics. So I spent a lot of time talking to customers and helping sort of show them the future of data analytics. And then sort of my secondary title is a VP of product. And that's just like helping build the product and get it out to people. Okay. So can you talk about how it started? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You got there? yeah. 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 So I've been there about seven, I'm coming up on my seven year anniversary now. And the company is about eight and a half years old at this okay. point, maybe nine years old. Okay. So I was one of the first customers of the product. I used it for about a year and a half or two years before I joined. Got it. And at that point it was a four person company. So it was wow. a pair of technical founders, two engineers and then uh, sort of jack of all trades like sales marketing essentially the everything else guy yeah and they really just had a vision for how people would do analytics and sort of do data analysis in new and interesting ways mm. a lot of it was sort of this bet on what amazon and google and microsoft and sort of cloud 
bases, just lots of data moving to the cloud, need new tools. So I got very close with the team then as a customer and was doing like referrals and sort of just helping them out as a customer. And eventually just became very close with the team and CEO and said, hey, I love what you guys are doing. Do you need a super user at the company? Yeah. And it was sort of like, I guess we can use one. Like, we'll see. And startups are, I mean, I think this is what's fun about startups is that you can at some level sort of create your own role if you're given the right situation. And I was sort of in an, a place where there wasn't a product team at the time, or there was maybe one product manager that had just become a product manager. And they needed the perspective of the customer because like it was a team of engineers that weren't data people that were building for data people. And it was like, great, we can talk to this guy. He can really help us understand what to build. He can also just help us do analytics and a bunch of other stuff. And so I joined, started running the support team, started running the analytics team. And then eventually they were like, we need to build out a product org. We need to hire other product managers. You know the product well, do you want to do that? And I stepped into that role and that was sort of most of my time at Looker has been sort of just leading the, the sort of team building the product. Got it. Okay. All right. Now, no, you started out in finance, but you've been in mm-hmm. analytics role for a while. Even before Looker, you were working as a data analyst. So have you always kind of been interested in analytics, statistics, that sort of thing? Yeah. Or was it just that with the changing of every, everything, is, it seems like it's data right now, it kind of, you kind yep. of changed along with everything else? Yeah. I mean, honestly, when I was in college, I I always wanted to just run a hedge fund. Like my whole life, I just wanted to run a hedge fund and sort of work in finance. It was all I ever really knew. And I was just like, finance is fun. It's a game. You're sort of like, I I love the competitive aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And that was all I ever thought about. And I didn't really know about sort of startups and tech. And a friend of mine actually started working at Google as a statistician. So he was doing data analytics on the ads side of the business. And as it so happened, my wife was actually starting law school at the time out in California. And so I said, I know I'm going to go back into finance eventually, but I'll go try the tech thing out. Like, I like math. I like numbers. They need people who like numbers. I'll go see what this is about. And so I took a, I took a job at Google as a statistician in search, sort of helping analyze the ranking algorithm. So trying to make it so that search results are better. And I think that the sort of the thread through all of that is just that There are so many jobs now that are like applied math in some way. There's like engineering jobs and obviously software, like building and data analytics and finance. Sort of the the core of what I realized I like about all of them is that you get sort of a pile of information and you have to try to figure out what's going on and then sort of make a decision with it. And I just realized there are a lot of jobs like that. And so that was what my job was at Google and sort of the data analytics stuff that I was doing at Hotel Tonight, which was the Looker customer I was at. There, it was a completely different job. We were an e-commerce site trying to sort of monetize hotel rooms. But sort of the core of all of it was just trying to understand like who is using this app? Why are they using it? How do we get them to buy hotel rooms? How do we predict what they're gonna do and sort of give them more of what they want? using numbers right and that's a lot of what i've done at looker also is just try to sort of apply math got it okay well then now what about the transition because you went from working in finance you're working with hedge funds and mutual funds and clients that have synthetic cdos cdo squared (laughs) and 
and helping them with their risk profile to, to doing this. So what was yep. that position like and how was it for you? It was definitely weird to start. So the first kind of humor was that when I went to go interview at Google and I was working at UBS at the time on the trading floor, or I had just stopped maybe, I showed up to the interview in a suit at Google. <laughs> and the first guy comes in in shorts, flip-flops and a t-shirt. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like I'm in a job interview and I have no idea what's going on. And I think a lot of the like East Coast, West cliches like exist more than people realize where it's just like, it's a very, it was a very different place. Like the trading floor, there was almost like this, like this fear of the people that were more senior than you, right. because like, I don't know, people work through fear a lot and hierarchy and things like that. And then at Google, you just like, you had no idea who the managers were and who they weren't because just like everyone is dressed in sort of t-shirts and walking around and just much more casual. Yeah. And so like culturally, that was a huge change. And then just like the structure of work life, like Tim, our old boss, I remember him always telling me like, if you're going to be five minutes late to the desk, call and just tell me. Yeah. So like, if I was going to show up at six so five, because I don't know, I slept through an alarm. I'd be like, Hey Tim, I'm going to be three minutes late. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then at Google, it's just like, sometimes people are in the office. Sometimes they aren't like you go to the gym midday, a lot of just like the lifestyle, like the FaceTime culture is very different. The work environment is very different. Right. So like in that way, it was very different, like culturally very, very different. I think on the other side, even though the job was extremely different, the sort of the analytical needs of what people wanted to do, like creating work product and like sending email and knowing how to work effectively, um, that kind of stuff translated like surprisingly well from finance to Google. Like I learned how to send really good emails and to format things and to like present work and even though you're doing it in a completely different context in a completely different environment, like those types of skills translated perfectly right. in that, like, you need to be able to explain your ideas. You need to be able to do quality analysis. You need to be efficient with your time. You need to send sort of like emails properly and sort of be effective. And in that sense, like the analytical skills were all very, very similar. Mm. So it was like how the work was getting done was very different and the job itself was different, but a lot of the underlying skills are actually really similar in that they're understanding what's going on, prioritizing your time, um, being able to do effective analysis and then communicate it. And I think that's sort of what I realized a lot of our superpower was, especially in, in the Credit Delta team, mm -hmm. is you had the salespeople that were just the talkers, and then you had the traders that like couldn't talk to people right. and just like they had the P&L ledger. And we were sort of in that balanced area where we need to do the math stuff and we needed to talk to people. Yep. And I realized if you can do those two things well, you can be super effective in life because there aren't a lot of people that can do technical work and talk about technical work. Exactly. You don't have to be the best at either of those, mm -hmm. but the balance of them is really, really powerful. That's great. That's great to hear. And in addition to that, it just seems like you have a good combination of Wall Street and Silicon Valley, your experiences there. And one thing that I, I remember about you is that you were so inquisitive on a desk and you, you know, you're always asking questions whenever you, you didn't know anything and you make sure that you knew it, you know, asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. I'm sure that's continued in your, in, in your career and has gotten to you where you are now. So that's one thing I, I always remember about you and really loved about what you did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think it's like 
it's it's a superpower to just learn things over time. Mm -hmm. I, I just I think it's funny that people always think that they know sort of everything that's happening. And it's even funny just reflecting on my own life. Like I started a company in between Google and Hotel Tonight where I bought Looker and it, we weren't successful. Like we sold it to Hotel Tonight for effectively the amount of money that we raised. We sold it for effectively net zero. Okay. And at the time, like I definitely thought I knew everything. I was like, I know how to build a business. I know how to start a company. And now having gone through a successful version of that, mm -hmm. I look back on that and I'm just like, what was I doing? Like I had no idea what I was doing. And you just have to be learning. Like yep. if I, I always sort of view life as like this, uh, like a video game where you're sort of adding stuff to your character over time. And so I, I take a lot of pride in trying to, trying to learn what's happening and not sort of being afraid to ask questions. Exactly. Yep. That's great. I love that. It, that was a great experience for you trying to build that company. Yeah. So with Looker, can you talk about the clients that you work with? What type of yeah. clients? So really we started, and this is not sort of an uncommon path for startups in the Bay area is almost every single customer was a young tech company in San Francisco. Got it. Um, and I was one of those. Mm -hmm. So sort of you're in San Francisco, you're talking to young people and like tech, and I'm, I'm being sort of overly broad, but you're talking to people that want to try new stuff and they're willing to give your product a try. And that was a lot of the companies that we worked with at the start. It was just like young, like venture backed tech companies. Mm -hmm. And we grew up on those and we gave them something that they liked. And eventually those people went and worked at different companies. Some of those companies got acquired by other companies. The product got better. And now we, we actually work with pretty much everyone. I think we've got seven of the Fortune 10. Wow. We've got half of the Fortune 50. So it's it's really sort of become, it, it was like a niche tech product and it sort of became an everyone product or is becoming an everyone product. And I, I hope someday it's like every single company. And it, it's really across the whole company. So it's, it's salespeople, it's marketers, it's finance people. It's really anyone who wow. wants to get an understanding of the business. But it's it's really funny how it evolved. Like I used to go around and talk to people about Looker. They had no idea what you're talking about. And then slowly in San Francisco, everyone was like, oh, you work at Looker. It's that like cool new thing. And now it's like we go tell people in completely random places that you work at Looker and you're like, oh, it's that old tool that oh, people wow. have now. So we've, we've inflected all the way over to uncool. But it's, it's sort of weird how that happens. It's I think that's the really positive thing about working in tech and in San Francisco is just you really get into this growth sort of mindset where it's just like, we have to grow, we have to grow, we have to grow. And you have a lot of control over the business and sort of what's happening. So you're just like, how do we get more people using this? How do we keep growing? It creates a lot of focus so that everyone is sort of doing the same thing. Nice. Wow. All right. Well, I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again, though. Congrats on everything, man. It's uh, that's that's amazing. You know, everything that you guys Thank have you. done and accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was telling you this before. It's just, I, we never thought that we would get here. Like you sort of think it when you start as you're just like, someday everyone will use us like the old tool that everyone used. And then like slowly it starts happening. And I, I, like half of it is luck and half of it is just sort of like not messing it up being there at the right place at the right time. And we like, we had some really good bets at the right time and we didn't mess them up. So <laughs> being modest, but yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So can we talk about what a typical day looks like for you 
Yeah, it's definitely changed. Uh, like, I think it's really funny to think back just, I'll, I'll tell you like the, the what it was day one and what it is now. Because when I, when I joined, I actually wanted to go try to meet with every single Looker customer. There were 70, 70 or 50 or 70 at the time. And I mm -hmm. said, I was going to go talk to every single one. So like, a typical week was I would have 20 meetings scheduled with different customers, mostly around the Bay Area. And I would go to their office and talk to them about what they were doing with the tool. Nice. And then the next week we'd come back and I'd sort of just talk about what we saw and sort of the gaps and, and what we needed to do. As we've gotten bigger, a lot of the sort of scrappy, like everyone talks to everyone type thing where when you're 50 people, every single person at the company knows every other person at the company and you sort of talk to everyone. Yeah. We've definitely gotten more compartmentalized where you're sort of in, in a given, it, it probably is worth thinking about a given week. There's maybe 10 meetings about new products or features that you're building. There's 10 meetings with customers. And I'd say half of those are sort of salesy meetings where you're trying to tell them that the product will solve all of their, their problems for them because we have a sort of B2B sales model. And then half of them are talking to existing customers about what is going well or not well. Um, because there's, there's a really important concept is that we're, we're software as a service, SaaS, which means we want a customer to buy Looker and then pay us every single month forever. Right. And that means that when they become a customer, we want to sort of keep them close, keep talking to them, make sure that they're happy with the product. So it's sort of a third developing new product and sort of having meetings about exactly what the product needs to do, a third talking to customers, and then a third sort of corporate type stuff. So like exec team meetings or like working with the HR team around hiring or working with the finance team around understanding what's happening in the business. But I'd say that's almost the best thing about being a product manager is that you're not sort of doing the same thing every day. Like you're not building a financial model every single day, or like right. you're not doing a sales every single day. You get to do some like strategy days and some building days and some talk to the customer days. And you, you get a nice flavor where you get a balance between sort of thinking time and communicating time. So it's, it's good for the people kind of at the axis of introvert and extrovert because you, you have to do both. Got it. Okay. And then you've been as a company for seven years, but have been in this kind of industry for, for longer. What changes have you seen mm -hmm. in the industry? That's a good question. I mean, I think it, I, I want to separate things that I may think are changes that aren't actually changes because I've sort of grown through the period also. Right. But it felt like when I first came out here, sort of there wasn't quite as much of the startup scene. Like Y Combinator hadn't started yet and sort of there wasn't the same venture machine funding all of these super young companies. And this is going to be like a very San Francisco-centric point of view. Oh, yeah. And it, there was no concept of like, I'll come out of school and I'll go get a job at like a 20 person startup. Mm -hmm. That was like what you did if you couldn't find the job at Google and Apple, you were like, I'll go look and I'll go take anything. And I think now sort of, it's almost like startups. And again, this is like super Sanford centric, but taking that risk and sort of doing something new has become sort of normal and accepted. And I think that's meant that people are starting companies more and they're taking a little bit more of that risk and, and sort of they're understanding that it's not necessarily a risk to go do something like that, to go start a company or to go join a company. 
because you're, you're going to learn differently. Like you're not going to learn the same way you will if you get a job sort of from career services at Google or something like that. But you can go talk to all of these other startups. Like if you're in Y Combinator or YC, there's, there's like a hundred or a thousand startups in your batch. And that's sort of your company. Like all of these companies are your company. Yeah. And I think those sorts of things have meant that these, these companies out of nowhere, like the lookers can exist and be successful. And it's a slight exaggeration. Like Google got founded at some point. And so people were taking risk, but I, I think I never would have said, go out of school and get a job at up. That would have been like an insane thing to suggest to someone. And I think now there's probably a lot of people that would thrive in that kind of environment. And you have to get lucky. A lot of them fail too. A lot of them aren't good, but you can learn so much and you can sort of take on so many different responsibilities. It's become a lot more sort of possible to take risk and not be weird. Yeah, I agree with you. No, I feel like you're right. You can learn so much, but also I think with all these startups, you're able to solve so many more problems. Also, I think it was Elon Musk that said he wished that so many more people, instead of going to business school and going to Wall Street and just doing the same thing, would get out there and be entrepreneurs and think on their own and solve a lot of these problems that are out there. So, yeah, no, it's, I mean, and I, I think the thing I've really come to appreciate is that it's really hard to build something successful if you don't know the problem. Like when I, when I, when we were starting our company, we were like, let's think of some problems to solve. And that's just like, not the way you go build a company. The way you go build a company is you're a farmer and like, you can't manage your crops effectively. So you're, you're like, I wish I had some software to do that. Like right. that person is going to be an amazing founder of that company. You're not just going to stumble into those sorts of things. And what that means is that sort of everyone has those little pieces of expertise. Like I don't have expertise in millions of things that other people have way more interest and expertise in than I do. Right. And those are the right people to go found those startups. Um, and then you just pair that with people that can actually go build great software. Um, and I think that's the other thing that's been kind of amazing to see is just how scalable selling software is. Right. Like it's amazing to make a product that you don't have to physically make and you can share it with everyone instantly. Um, like that's, that's a really wonderful thing. Yeah, the software data is is king right now. And then yep. um, I guess a big part of it is just taking risks, though. You know, it is. And, and you have to realize you're sort of, you're taking, you're taking different risk also. Like the risk of, of going and joining Bank of America and staying there for 20 years true. is like you might not see what would happen if you did these other things. And, and I think it's something that the United States, I think, has done better than other countries is sort of normalized risk-taking at some level. Mm -hmm. But almost by not doing some of those sorts of things, you're you're just taking a different type of risk. Like you're taking, you're, you, uh, I, I'm forgetting the word, but um, you're you're sort of missing out on the, what could have happened for yeah. you. And I think it's, it's sort of been interesting to see, like starting a company and failing in San Francisco is normal. Like you don't want to do it 25 times in a row. That's, that's the bad risk-taking side, maybe. But going and joining a young company fails. You can still learn an enormous amount. And you're going to get way more responsibility than you would at sort of a larger company in a very niche role. Yeah. Yeah. One of my friends, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, the phrase, but he was saying that someone told him, when are you going to play offense with your career? You've been playing defense for so long. When are you going to play offense with it? That's a great, it's a great way of phrasing it, though. <laughs> it's, I mean, I think it really is true. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So now let's talk about skills and characteristics and what you do. I know yep. definitely have to have those customer service skills. You have to be able to yep. you have the communication skills. You have being able to articulate to people of all different levels, the engineers, the customers, mm -hmm. your different officers. So what are the skills and characteristics would you say are most important to be successful in your line of business? Yeah, I mean, I think for product management specifically, it really is this mix of things. Like definitely need to be a great communicator. You need to understand the technical things that engineers are doing. You don't have to be able to do them, but you need to be able to understand the trade-offs that they're making. And you need to understand your business. I think what a lot of tech people sometimes forget is that it's not really just as simple as like you make software and then people buy it and your company is successful. Like you need to make software and then you need to understand how buyers make those decisions and how sales sells it. And so like you do need those business school concepts to understand why things are working and sort of how to make them work better. I think it, so from like a product perspective, it balance is really key. And then I think you just have to be willing to sort of learn and listen. Like anything that you can do to build up expertise in your product is going to be a huge advantage. Like I always joked, I, I almost don't think that product management is a career sometimes because I can't step in and be a great product manager for like a wedding services company. Mm -hmm. Like I can go talk to a lot of people and I can go try to learn those things, but it's like, it's not my ex like design and sort of event planning. Like those are not my areas of expertise, but if, if you really understand those businesses and you can comment them with, understanding how to build software for them or understanding how to sort of talk to customers and sell. I think that's what makes great product managers is, is like the domain expertise, a little bit of tech understanding, a little bit of communication, but it's, it's really a mix of those things. Got it. Okay. All right. And then, so undergrad, what did you major in in undergrad? My technical, the, the name of the major is operations research and financial engineering. Oh, okay. So what it actually ends up being is effectively applied math. So you can essentially take any math course across engineering, math, science, economics. Mine was definitely tilted towards structured finance. So I took a bunch of classes on option pricing theory and, and like heavy statistics, but it was, it was effectively applied math. To be perfectly honest, I used more of it at UBS than I have since then but probably the only class from college that I routinely lean on is like statistics 201, like the intro to statistics. Yeah. And you use that constantly. So I would definitely encourage anyone that is still in school to take statistics. It's by far the most valuable, I think, class that you can take in high school or college. Nice. All right, good advice. Now, can you talk about what you love about what you do? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like the the day-to-day -day and then the the tech environment in general. I think from the day-to-day, -day, what I what I really like is I, I keep saying that, but like the balance. Like I love to sit down and do a bunch of research, sort of figure out something. But then I also like to go take that and try to actually solve the problem. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of roles where like you either produce the analysis and then hand it to someone, or someone hands you a thing and then you you go do something with it. And I think the nice thing about product is that you get to do a little bit of both of those things. Like you like to do analysis, you get to talk to people, you synthesize it, you come up with a strategy, and then you go build something to actually meet that strategy. And there aren't a lot of things where you get to do all that stuff. And so I like that. 
the complement to that is like, what's great about working at startups is that whether the company lives or dies is entirely in your control. Like no matter how good the work that we did at UBS was, and it was outstanding, like the bank wasn't going to live or die on our PNL. Right. And there's something really nice about sort of that connection to what you're doing every day. Like I used to joke because people would say like, you don't work very much or they'd say you work a lot. And I'd say, I'm sort of always working. I was always 24 hours a day at some level thinking about what was going to make Looker successful. Cause it was, it was like integrated into my life. And that's actually what I love about joining these young companies is that you just, you have so much control over what is happening. And again, there's lots of random that gets layered on top of that. Like you can get lucky or unlucky, but there's so much day-to-day stuff that you're doing that you can see sort of move the needle for the whole business. And if you see a problem, you can just go pick it up and solve it. Like you can say, hey, we're not doing this one thing well. And then you go look into it and you can propose a solution to it or you can just go be the solution for it. And I, I know that all sounds simple, but you can't do that at most companies. Like right. you can't just be like, hey, that person's not doing their job. I'm going to go do it for them and then I'm going to come back and do my job later. But that is really great if you're sort of a self-motivated person and and you want to look around and try to fix stuff. And I, I sort of love good or bad, like being in everyone's business and just trying to go fix stuff and tinker. So like, that's great. I yeah. love that. <laughs> All right. So you love that you can add value and also solving problems in analysis sounds like five mathematics to me. It is. Right. No, it is. Like right you're trying to make good decisions. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> now, what about the flip side, though? What type of challenges are out there for you? Yeah. So I guess, but like the high and low again. So at the low level, I think what's tricky about being a product manager is that you're in all of these different areas, but all of these are different teams that you're working with. So like you're not building the software. So like if the product's not doing what you want, you're putting together a plan for it and you're trying to get things built, you're not the commander of that team, you're sort of a partner of that team. And there's a lot of sort of social dynamic that you have to work through that can be good and bad. And you need to make all these different trade-offs. Like I always used to joke with my team, we're doing a good job of sort of everyone is equally upset with us. Like customers are a little sad, our sales team's a little sad, our engineers are a little sad. Cause like no one is always getting exactly what they want, but like, the friction is equal everywhere. And I think that's the hard part about it. It's just the product was never where you wanted it to be. It was never good enough. Like people are always a little bit upset. And if you're taking 20 meetings a week and you're getting a lot of like, this is not good. Like, why don't you fix this? And they're, they're all good ideas, but you just can't do all of them. Like that kind of stuff can be a little painful. It's sort of what I imagine like being president is like, it's just like there's problems everywhere and you just can't fix any of them but you're like we'll take these two problems and go fix them and then meanwhile like everyone's mad at you for everything else so it's like a very very micro version of that and then i think on so the, the so the products yeah. no, 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 so the products aren't uh, customized no i mean it's essentially one product like it's just it. it's a software product that it can do a bunch of different things but like you can think about it as one component of it is that we make a lot of charts so we've got like our 10 embedded charts mm-hmm. There's a thousand other features that people want in those charts, and we can't build right. features. Like we're never going to get there. We can build four, Got and it. so you have to go back and say, "That's a great idea," but we're doing these four. And then the other customer is like, "Well, we want this other thing." 
there's just a lot of different people that want a lot of different things from you. And you end up really, really resource constrained. Um, and I don't know, there are definitely days where you're just like, ah, I'm doing a terrible job. Everyone's unhappy. Like, I wish just, I wish I could just do my analysis and hand it to someone and sort of be on my way. And there's just a lot less of that. So it's sort of, it's, it's the flip side of all the good stuff that you get out of this. Right. But like, I do think that they can be prone to burnout and things like that. And when I look back to the startup that didn't work that well, every day I came home and I was just like angry or sad. Cause I was just like, we aren't going anywhere. I'm really frustrated. I am in complete control and it's not getting better. And I think those sorts of things can be sort of the downside of sort of startups and these young companies is that they do fail sometimes. Like when you take venture capital, they're not taking it to make like a 5% return. They either want you to multiply it by a hundred or go out of business. Right. And that pressure can weigh on you at some level too. And I, I think that's some of the challenge. So a couple of questions from that. One is what are your hours like? Mm -hmm. It varies. And it, it's definitely varied over the life of Looker. So kind of early in Looker's life, I used to just say that I worked for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If someone sent an email at, at midnight and they were in India, like trying to get a support ticket, I would go log in and try to answer their question right. because I cared about it a lot and I wanted it to happen. But you're not sitting in meetings all day. Like there's the FaceTime requirement sort of doesn't exist. So it's almost entirely self-directed is probably the best way to think about it. It's like you're working as much as you want to or can, but like I was in the office 30 hours a week. So there's a balance to it. Yep. And I think for the people that are looking for the nine to five, where like you go to work, you turn on your computer that you couldn't take home and then you turn it off at the end of the day and you literally can't get your email. It was never like that. I still check my email constantly and I'm just obsessive about stuff like that because if it can benefit Looker, I'll go do it. Mm -hmm. But like, I never thought about it as, as sort of working that hard. The 12, 13 hour days we were putting on the trading floor yeah. were infinitely more difficult than any of my time at Looker. Okay. So I don't know. It's like, it's a lot and a little at the same time. I get it. I get it. Now, with all the pressure you talk about and working around the clock, kind of, how mm -hmm. do you have any hobbies or do anything for stress relief? I mean, I've got two kids, so I spend a lot of time with them, sort of, I drop my daughter off at school, pick her up most days. My wife is an attorney at a startup, so she works more than I do. Yeah. We like to sort of bike around the city. Nice. And I used to play a lot more sports, but I just like, I'm old and my body is breaking down more. <laughs> Which sports? Um, I will say, I, I used to play a lot of basketball and tennis, okay. but less and soccer, but less and less. We did get a Peloton about two years ago that I ride almost every single day. Oh, okay. uh, I think I rode about 500 miles on the Peloton last year. So I bike a lot and I love it because I'm hyper competitive. So I essentially get to race strangers on the internet that right. don't know we're racing. And it's, it's everything. It's replaced all of my competitive activity. It's just trying to win Peloton races against no one. Yeah, a lot of my friends are in that same boat. So. <laughs> all right. And now with your job, you mentioned talking to customers and trying yep. to solve their problems. And with the pandemic, 
how has that affected you? Because I'm guessing before then you were having to fly a lot. In, in yeah, I, exactly. Offices are closed. So like, don't get to see people physically anymore. But I would say other than that, the impact has been for me about zero. Okay. So it's like, it's, it's kind of weird because I'm already working with teams around the country at some level inside our company and our customers are everywhere and I'm already on Zooms a lot with them. Like I'd say when we were in the office, I was on a Zoom six out of eight hours anyway. Mm. And now it's eight out of eight hours in the workday. So it's honestly not that dissimilar other than I don't have to fly and see people anymore, which is good and bad because some of those trips where you go visit 20 people in five days can be kind of rough. And now it's just pop on the next Zoom and kind of bounce around. So it's, I mean, little hiccups in the business, but I am as unimpacted as anyone that has a job. Okay. That's good. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Now, can you talk about any memorable moments that stick out to you in your career? Yeah, I was thinking about this one. And it's funny because like all the memorable moments are sort of random little things that happened here and there. Like during Looker, all the memorable moments are just every single big customer milestone. Right. Like I remember our first $100,000 customer. I remember our first million dollar quarter. I remember our first million dollar customer. There are so many individual milestones. It's like every single, it's kind of funny because it's like you have the first $100,000 customer and now we'll just do like 10 in a day or something like that. And you're just like, this is so weird. This used to be the most precious thing in the whole world. And now I don't even look at the email. So that's been sort of a weird process to go through. And obviously the acquisition was just like, that was a crazy day. Yeah, that was amazing. But a lot of the stuff I remember is actually just sort of random projects here and there that I did. Like at, at Hotel Tonight, they used to actually rank the hotels by hand. Mm-hmm. So like if you logged into San Francisco, there was a person who was like literally physically slotting the hotels in order. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> which is, yeah, no, exactly. That's, I got in there, I was just like, what, this is crazy. That's, it's also like, this is how technology companies bootstrap. Mm-hmm. People think everything's magic, but it's like, no, there's a person doing that. But me and a few other people, we built a ranking algorithm for the whole country and sort of turned it on over a period of like two months. And that was just so satisfying because we took like what 25 people were spending hours a day doing by hand. And like, we actually built something really cool that replaced it. And it just, it felt so good. Um, So there's like, sometimes just like physically delivering the software just feels really nice. Yeah. So those are a couple of the big ones. Nice. Now you mentioned the acquisition. Do you remember what you did when you when you found out that it was complete, like a dinner, champagne, anything, do you remember any, what happened? So this is going to sound really sad, but I never really did an official celebration thing other than really? putting a step on Twitter that was like, I'm happy this happened. <laughs> and, and the reason is because we actually went through this 12 month regulatory review for the acquisition where we went through a bunch of antitrust reviews internationally. 12 months. And so, yeah, on the acquisition date, that's the announcement date but the deal's not official until it closes. And then there were actually essentially multiple close dates for the deal as like different regulatory bodies approved it. And then even when it closed, there was like a contingency in some countries. And so it almost didn't feel done until like the eighth time that they said it was done and it was really done. And like, we got 
Google badge. But that was like 15 months later, something crazy like that. And so it, it like sort of deflated the celebration into just multiple periods of time. Uh, but like definitely had a few beers the, uh, <laughs> on the announcement date. That's pretty much marked the date for me. But yeah, it was a good feeling. Nice. Good. All right. And do you have any advice for people starting up and just with an entrepreneurial spirit want to take that? Yeah, I mean, yeah. The biggest sort of piece of advice I have is to be expressive about what you want and to take initiative to make it happen, whether you're inside your company or outside your company. Like, I think the mistakes I made was the first time that I joined Google. I remember when I left Google, I had something like 100 connections on LinkedIn. And I know that's not like a great metric to measure anything by, but I just wasn't talking to anyone. Like I had a job, I went, I did my job. It was only relevant to Google inside search. I interact with 200 people that were the people in search and I didn't interact with anyone else. And it was just such a waste of like a portion of my life. Like I wasn't learning what other people were doing and sort of exploring. And I think what I found is I'll get random emails from people sometimes that are just like, hey, I saw you talk somewhere or like I looked you up on the internet. Can I talk to you for 30 minutes? And some of them are nonsense, but some of them are genuine asks with like a two paragraph email that is moderately thoughtful. And you get on the phone and chat with someone and it's mutually interesting because the person is looking for something, you're talking to someone and it's just not ever would have done. But then my wife, my wife is the general counsel at a startup in San Francisco. She got the job by just cold emailing the CEO. She was just like, hey, I noticed you guys don't have a lawyer and I like what you're doing. Can we have a conversation? Nice. And it, it sounds like one of those kind of like hustle porn things. And <clears throat> I'm definitely not encouraging the like, go send 9,000 emails to different people and like A-B tap, but just being a little bit forward about what you want and just asking for it. And that's from employees to their boss. That's from people talking to other people. I've just been shocked at how valuable that is. And I think, I think we're in sort of an age of the internet of just honesty and sort of being open. And I think it's really valuable to just do things like that. Like I'm just shocked at how much you can learn, how far you can get by just pinging people. And sometimes they don't respond, but like, don't say, Hey, I'd love to talk to you for 30 minutes. Cause then it's going to be like, no, I don't know what you want. Right. But if you send them thoughtful that you're, that you're trying to learn from them, you'd be shocked at how many people will take the time to actually go do that. Yep. And it's like, that's one of those things that amazes me. And I still don't do it enough. Like I just am too nervous to cold email people. I'm, I'm a terrible person, but it's, it's so powerful. And if you're hungry and young, especially you can go a long way. Yeah. I like that. Love it. Yeah. I try to tell people just be proactive, be proactive. My three P's I say proactive, persistent, and positive, staying positive. That's yeah. no, that's perfect. That is exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> All right. So Colin, we're at the end of this interview. This has been great. I'm going to head over to our quick hitter session. We're going to ask you questions for fun to get to know you a little bit better. Before we do that, I just want to find out if there's anything additional that you want to talk about or anything you think I might've left off asking you. No, that was great. All right. Good, good. All right. So let's head to the quick hitter session. First question. What's your favorite sports team? Indianapolis Colts. All right. Could have done it this year. Yeah. It was a good team. Yeah. Yeah. 
what are you guys going to do for a quarterback going forward? I mean, is Aaron Rodgers on the market? Yeah. I'll take yeah, Aaron Rodgers. Right. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers and Deshaun Watson are in the market, I would settle for either of them. Yeah. So I won't be picky. I, right. Deshaun Watson would really show the Texans by going to the Colts. Yeah. That's all I'd say. That, that would hurt. That would hurt <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Favorite movie or show? Um, favorite movie is The Big Lebowski. I love that movie, mm. and I still watch it from time to time. I would say the other two favorites that are sort of new favorites are Moana. So oh. I don't know if you've ever watched Moana, yeah. but my five-year-old daughter loves it, and I've probably watched that movie 50 times at this yeah. point, yeah. and the songs are incredible. Um, for TV, it's just mostly sports and some diners, drive-ins, and dives. Okay. Very watchable. Yeah, those Disney movies are incredible. Yeah. Favorite musical artist or group? So this is a weird one. I only really listen to electronic dance music. Okay. So I only listen to EDM for the most part and kind of stuff on the trancier, like non-vocal side. Mm -hmm. But like Gareth Emery, Above and Beyond, I really like a lot across the sort of EDM spectrum, but kind of anything electronic for the most part. And have you gone to the, what is it, the EDM concert? Or... Like Ultra? Yeah, I guess so. I don't, I don't know too much about yeah. it, but I know I've been to an EDM concert. Been to a, yeah, no, I've been to some festivals. I have not gone recently. I think I'm just aged out of that activity. <laughs> but Gareth Emery did come to San Francisco and play two nights in a row. And my wife was just like, I can't do that. Like, I'm not going to go do that. And I went and saw him by myself twice. Okay. So that was that was either sad or awesome, depending uh, on uh, your point of view. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite vacation spot? Just any beach. I just like to sort of relax and lounge and be in hot weather, but keep yeah. it simple. I can't handle the winter sports anymore. Right. I hear you. I'm right there. And favorite food or drink? Yeah. I mean, San Francisco is just loaded with sort of outstanding Mexican and Chinese food. So I love the fajitas at this Mexican spot down the street or just like the burritos, kind of anything that. And then we've just got some outstanding Chinese food. I'm so spoiled by San Francisco food. It's ridiculous. To cook, it's definitely chili. I make a lot of chili at the house. It would be illegal in Texas. I use beans and Sometimes I put corn in it. I violate all of your principles for chili. I like to cook from time to time too. All right. Nice. Well, hey, Colin, this has been great, man. Like I seriously learned a lot about this, about what you do and about Looker and just hearing everything that you've done and accomplished. I'm so, and the company's accomplished. I'm so proud of you, man. And just so happy for you. So happy for you, man. Uh, just congrats on all your accomplishments. And thank Thanks, you. man. Yeah, no problem. Of course. No, thank you. It's great to see you again, man. I, yeah. I hope it's good. But yep. yeah, I've gotten lucky, been blessed. <laughs> Very modest. Love it. All right. Well, well, thanks. And if people want to reach out to you for advice or just uh, talk to you about yeah. anything, is there any way they can reach out? Okay. Yeah, they can just ping me. I'm on Twitter, DrinkZima. I'm an obsessive Twitter user. So, What's it, what's it again? It's Drink Zima, D-R-I-N-K, and then my last name, Z-I-M-A. Okay. Um, or you can probably guess my email address. 
it's my first name and my last name. So <laughs> at Gmail, but yeah, ping me. Got it. Well, thanks, Colin. Have a yeah. good one. Good to see you, man. Yeah, good to see you too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.